Have you ever had the feeling you were being watched? My name is August Cruz. A few years ago, I wrote a book called Stalker. It's a fiction about a man who becomes obsessed with a woman he's never actually met. Like most fictions, however, the story has its roots in real stalking cases. Over 25 million people have experienced stalking in their lifetime. Today, we're going to explore one of those cases. Hello, everyone. I'm August Cruz, and welcome to episode 6 of My Favorite Prey. Once again, I just want to take a minute and thank those of you who have been kind enough to reach out and leave comments on Instagram and email me at mfprey22 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your kind words. I'm glad that you're enjoying the content, and hopefully you'll continue to enjoy future episodes. Please keep the comments coming, because, I mean, let's face it, who doesn't like compliments? I know I haven't done this before, but um, because of the nature of this case and the violence and murder that was committed against two innocent victims, one of whom was very innocent, I just wanted to warn you that this is probably one of the most disturbing stalking cases I've come across, and that's saying a lot. You know, the writer Anne Rice once wrote, follow your most intense obsession mercilessly. Some people, unfortunately, take that to an extreme. You'll find out what I mean in a minute. Andrew Bagby was born on September 25, 1973, to parents David and Kate Bagby in Sunnyvale, California. Andrew was well-liked, had many friends growing up, and had dreams of becoming a doctor. A dream that he started pursuing when he went to study medicine at Memorial University of Newfoundland in Canada in 1999. It was there that he met and started dating Shirley Turner, who was also studying medicine at Memorial. Let's stop there for a minute and take a look at Sunshine Shirley. Shirley Jane Turner was born January 28, 1961, in St. Anthony, Newfoundland, Canada. She also had aspirations on becoming a doctor. On the road there, she wound up getting married and had a son in 1982. Her husband wound up raising him so Shirley could continue her studies. In 1985, she gave birth to a daughter, and she also wound up taking up with an old ex, a fisherman. And after her, sec after her first marriage ended in divorce, she married him. In 1990, she gave birth to her second daughter. One year later, she and her second husband separated. But she was raising her children with his help. Nice enough guy. In 1993, a man that was boarding with Shirley told his therapist that he saw old Cheryl physically and emotionally abusing two of her three kids. When social services interviewed the kids, they admitted that Shirley would punish them by spanking them and had even beaten them with a belt. However, the case was closed without them interviewing Shirley and the kids stayed where they were. Yay, social services, bang up job. Three years later, Shirley and her second husband were divorced, and she was awarded custody. Not to worry, though. The kids wouldn't be there long. See, within days of the ruling, Mother of the Year over there sent her first two kids to live with their paternal grandmother, and her daughter was sent to live with her father. Lucky kids, believe me, they caught a big break. In the meantime... The folks at Shirley's residency weren't quite so lucky. Shirley was argumentative, hostile towards staff, 
and would accuse the supervisor of mistreating her, because of course it's everybody else's fault except hers. Things got so bad there that there was even a patient who, after one encounter with the raving resident, refused to be seen by her again. So much for bedside manner. Despite this sterling reputation, in March of 1996, she began a relationship with another resident, Miles Duque, who was more than a decade younger than her. Eventually, surprise, surprise, he broke up with the craving cougar and moved away to Halifax, Nova Scotia. You'd think moving away after a breakup would be a hint that maybe the other person wants to be left alone. Nope. She would call him incessantly and leave erratic messages. Things got so bad that she wound up confronting him in Halifax, where she hit him across the jaw with, get this, her high-heeled shoe. Frankly, I think it's a toss-up between what would have been worse, the hit or the smell. After this, Duque moved again to Pennsylvania. She still didn't get the hint, though. She followed him there, and throughout the course of the year would leave him threatening messages and would show up at his apartment. On more than one occasion, Duque called the state troopers who would have to order her to leave. In April 1999, Duque found Turner lying semi-conscious outside his apartment. She was wearing a black dress, holding a bouquet of red roses, and had two suicide notes on her. Apparently, since Duque refused to be swayed by her docile attempts of winning him back, she tried to overdose on over-the-counter drugs. One note was for Duque, and the other was for her psychiatrist. Yep, she was seeing a psychiatrist. That one read, I'm not evil, just sick. Yeah, fair assessment there, Cheryl. She was taken to the hospital and treated. The next day, Duque received a mysterious phone call, and a female voice said, Dr. Turner died last night. I'll leave that up to you to wonder who that might have been from. Now you have an understanding as to the type of person that Andrew was about to get involved with. See, everything I told you about Shirley so far, believe it or not, is nothing compared to what you're about to find out. Shocking as it may seem, Andrew's friends just got a bad vibe from Shirley. Neither they nor Andrew knew the details of her history other than her divorce and kids. What the friends did know was how odd she would behave often making overt sexual comments and generally being socially awkward. Andrew seemed happy at first, though, so his friends didn't comment anything to him. They were just glad to see him acting like his old self, especially since he had broken up with his fiancée and hadn't seen anyone since. Until Shirley, anyway. In August of 2000, Shirley moved to Iowa to work for the Trimark Physicians Corporation. Andrew graduated in May of 2000, and moved to Syracuse, New York, to the State University of New York Upstate Medical University. In spite of the distance, they decided to maintain a long-distance relationship. Oh, sweet love. Shirley visited Andrew several times, while he only went to see her once. Andrew wasn't very happy in Syracuse, and so he moved to Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and began a residency at a family practice. As time moved on, Shirley started to become more possessive of Andrew and started harassing him over the phone. Were you guys detecting a pattern here? In October of 2001, 
Shirley told Andrew that she was three months pregnant. Andrew agreed to talk to her as she flew out to Latrobe and she showed up at a friend's wedding, saying and insisting that Andrew wanted her there as his date. While she was visiting him, she admitted that she wasn't pregnant, and the only reason she said that she was was to keep him from leaving her. Obviously, this didn't sit well with Andrew, and he put Shirley on a plane back to Iowa. Sadly, this would not be the last time they would see each other. On November 4th, 2001, at 1 p.m., after calling Andrew's place several times, Shirley made the 16-hour drive to Latrobe from Iowa. And if that's not Glenn Close crazy enough, the only passenger to keep her company during this trek was a Phoenix Arms HP-22 handgun. In October 2001, she obtained the permit to buy the handgun and had used it several times at a firing range. You know, just to get some practice in. She arrived at Andrew's place early on November 5th. Although he was upset that she would just show up like that, he agreed to meet with her after work, and then he went to the practice as usual. His co-worker, T. Clark Simpson, noticed that he seemed agitated and asked him what was wrong. Andrew told him what had happened, and Simpson advised him that he should avoid meeting up with her. Solid and sage advice. Andrew said he'd be okay, and promised to stop by Simpson's house after Shirley left. But Andrew never showed up. The next day, November 5th, Andrew's body was found face down next to his car in a parking lot. He had five gunshot wounds. One to his face, one to his chest, the back of his head, and two in the buttocks. All done with 22 caliber bullets. Now, obviously suspicion fell on Shirley. And when she realized that cops were looking for her, she fled back to Canada. While there, she found out, lo and behold, she really was pregnant. And said that it was Andrew's baby. She was caught and arrested. And the plan was to have her extradited to the U.S. Thanks to her lawyers, though, this process took forever. And in the meantime, Shirley gave birth to baby boy Zachary. Andrew's parents moved to Canada to try and gain custody of their grandson, the only piece of, her, of their son that they had left, obviously. The courts granted custody in 2002 based on the fact that Shirley was proven to be Andrew's killer. However, and you're going to love this shit, in 2003, after writing to the judge that sentenced her, begging to see if there was anything that could be done, the judge gave her advice on how to appeal, and guess what? Old Cheryl was set free on bail in January. Yep, you heard that right. She killed somebody, wrote to a judge, was given advice, and she was set free on bail. The judge felt that Shirley posed no threat to society because her intended target and fixation was already dead. There's some sound logic, right? I'll give you a second to process that. Andrew's parents, David and Kate, had to give Zachary back to Shirley. The Bagbees were able to schedule vegetations, but think about what that must have been like. They had to speak with the person who killed their son and deal with her while they visit their grandson. 
Can you imagine? The tragedy for them doesn't end there, unfortunately, though. In July of 2003, Turner began dating a man she met at a bar. However, the guy dumped her after he learned of what she did to Andrew. Smart move. She went ballistic, batshit crazy, made a total of 200 threatening calls to the man and claimed that she was pregnant by him, a claim that was never verified. The man called to report the harassment, and since this violated the terms of her bail and she would lose custody of Zachary, he was hoping that they'd be on his side. However, none of that happened because the man refused to identify himself, and so no investigation or action could take place. So, Shirley was free. On August 13th, 2003, Shirley purchased her prescription of lorazepam, which is used often for anxiety but can cause drowsiness. She drove with Zachary to Conception Bay South, where the man she had met at the local bar lived. She parked her car near his house, left pictures of her and Zachary on the front seat. Then, she gave Zachary some of the lorazepam with his formula and took an unhealthy amount herself. Once it started to slowly take effect on her innocent, sweet, one-year-old baby, she strapped him to her chest, made her way to the edge of a fishing wharf, and jumped into the Atlantic Ocean. Both their bodies were found by a couple on the beach, drowned. It was determined that Zachary was asleep and didn't feel any pain, but still. After this tragedy, the only thing that David and Kate could do was push for a change in the law which had failed Zachary miserably. If Shirley hadn't been released, if she hadn't been given instructions on how best to approach the appeal, she wouldn't have been released, she would have served justice in jail, baby Zachary would be 21 right now, hopefully living out the life that his father didn't get a chance to. Fortunately, the law did change, thanks to the Bagbees. Bill C-464, or Zachary's bill, allowed the courts to justify refusing bail to those accused of serious crimes in the name of protecting their children. At least, this can ensure that this horror will not happen again. The reason stalking laws are in place is to protect both men and women from those who lose touch with reality and think it's okay to insert themselves into the lives of those they've become obsessed with. Shirley Turner lost touch with reality. And unfortunately, as is usually the case with stalkers, others had to pay for that. Miles Duque walked away lucky that the most he got was hit in the face with a high-heeled shoe. Neither Andrew and certainly not Zachary were so lucky. Follow your most intense obsession mercilessly. Yes, you should. If it's work or the arts or education or something like that that you want to pursue, yes, do it with all your heart and don't ever give up. But once it starts interfering in the lives of others and putting innocent lives in danger, then that's a different story. That's why I end every episode the same way. If you or anyone you know 
have experienced a stalker or think you may have, please don't hesitate to contact Safe Horizon at 800-621-HOPE. That's 800-621-4673. They're available 24 hours a day, and even if they aren't in your city, they can help get you in touch with a local support center. Maybe if more people knew about places like Safe Horizon, Andrew and Zachary might still be alive. Take care of yourself. Watch your surroundings. And I hope you'll join me again.